years. I really mean that. He has served our church. Uh, Rob's job description often looks like implement the bad ideas of the elders. And Rob would go and try all the bad ideas we come up with and then let us know that they were really bad ideas. But Rob has, Rob has been a servant. He's exemplified servanthood. This morning I got here about 6 o'clock and Rob and his team were already setting those tents up for the hoorah afterwards. So it's fitting that on the Sunday that we start celebrating 25 years, there's a big whoop-de-doo out in the parking lot afterwards, um, including a baptism. And Rob has, Rob has been a kind, faithful servant to our church. I think there's a table in the lobby with some cards out there. If you want to leave Rob a note of encouragement, you can text him or, or email him or uh, if you want to encourage him in some way this month, we're setting this month aside to to celebrate and give thanks for his faithfulness to our church. So, Rob, thank you, brother, for faithfulness for 25 years of implementing my bad ideas. Let's, uh, let's pray. Give thanks to God and open his word together. Oh, Lord, you are kind to us in many ways that we are inclined to overlook and today we want to stop and give thanks for our brother Rob, for his faithfulness, for his, his family's faithfulness to our church these 25 years. Uh, we are grateful. We are blessed. And we pray that you would bring encouragement to him and to his family for the sacrifices they have made to serve us so beautifully. And Lord, too, we open up your word as a needy people. We need strength and courage and faith. So may your spirit take the word and grant us these things so that, Jesus, you are honored in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So if, you're, if you follow football at all, you know, one of the great concerns these days, everywhere from the little guys to, to the big guys, are, is a matter of concussions. And so there's a lot of stuff going on with football helmets, and Schutt Sports is a major supplier of a football helmet. This is their latest, greatest. It is the F7 Limited and by the time you get your team logo on that, it runs you about a thousand bucks. So they're pretty serious about this. Um, so serious, in fact, if you go to their website, the first thing that pops up is this warning. And you cannot enter their website without clicking uh, where it says, I understand, I get it. This is part of what it says. No helmet system can prevent concussions or eliminate the risk of serious head or neck injuries while playing football. Okay? It's explicit. The warning label, it continues, has some information about symptoms of concussions, concludes by repeating the original warning. To avoid these risks, um, do not engage in the sport of football. <laughs> okay? It's just bottom line. Um, if you don't want to risk injuries of this kind, don't play football, okay? That's the only way out of it. Um, and I'm beginning to wonder if our new members class shouldn't feature a similar warning. If you don't want to suffer, then don't follow Jesus, okay? There is no way out of it. If you don't want to suffer, then don't follow Jesus. There's a... Uh, a prof, Stanley Howard Voss, he's at Duke, I believe, he says, people get very upset by the idea that their children might have to suffer. He says, well, why are you even having children then? Because you want them to be Christians, don't you? 
And if they're going to be Christians, he says, they are going to suffer. And I think Professor Howard Voss was channeling his inner apostle Peter uh, when he says that. Because listen to the way our passage begins. Daniel read it earlier. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Not, Not if it comes upon you, but when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter loves these people he is writing to, right? These churches, he starts out, he calls them beloved. He says, I love you, and so I'm going to tell you these things because they matter and they are true. Um, He is concerned about how they and ultimately how we weather present and future suffering that comes to us because we follow Jesus. And so he says, don't be surprised when hardship comes to you because you follow Jesus. Expect to suffer unjustly for doing good, Peter says. That is our expectation. If it happened to Jesus, odds are it will happen to you as you follow him. Peter said that Jesus was our example in this whole matter of undeserved suffering. Just a couple pages earlier in his letter, he says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Peter says suffering is our calling. He says this is what it means to follow in Jesus' steps, to follow Jesus' way. And Peter's willing Um, just one more page over in your Bible. He's willing to call it God's will that we might suffer for doing good. In chapter 3, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And Paul, if it's possible to be even more direct than Peter, is more direct than Peter. He says in 2 Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. So, don't strap on the helmet if you're not willing to risk the injury, okay? Don't attempt to follow Jesus unless you are willing to suffer. So, as you've already heard, after services today, we're going to baptize, I I think, three of our young people um, in the parking lot. Um, We're going to have a potluck lunch afterwards. Some of you are thinking, ah, I didn't bring anything. No problem. You're our guest. Eat our food. Okay? Stay. Stay and and enjoy that time. I hope you'll stay, even if you didn't bring anything. But we're baptizing three of our young men and women today, and uh, there's an Asian country where persecution is a life-threatening reality for believers And there's some church planters in that region that have started asking these questions of people who are preparing for baptism. These are the questions they ask them. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village of those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? 
Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? These are the questions they ask people as they get ready to be baptized. Peter says, we could very well ask these same questions of our three men and women who are going to be baptized today. He says, we should ask them of ourselves. Don't be surprised. When Jesus himself suffers, and then when he calls you to take up your cross and follow him, that you should suffer. Suffering waits for all who follow Christ. So, Reverend Amos S. Cresswell, a distant relative of Daniel Cresswell, I'm sure, Amos. This is what he writes. He says, um, tells the story of Martin Niemöller, World War I hero in Germany, who was imprisoned for eight years by Hitler. He spent time in prisons and concentration camps, including Dachau. And Hitler realized that if Niemöller could be persuaded to join his cause, then much opposition would collapse. So Hitler sent a former friend of Niemöller's to visit him, a friend who supported the Nazis. And seeing Niemöller in his cell, the one-time friend said, Martin, Martin, why are you here? And Niemöller replied, my friend, why are you not here? Follow Jesus. Suffer for it if need be. Don't be surprised if it comes to that. In China right now, our, our families that are living in China are being pressed. Uh, pressure from the government on Christians is up in China. Right? There, are, there are concentration camps, re-education camps in far western China with between one and two million Muslims in those camps being reprogrammed so that they cannot pray and they cannot um, acknowledge their God. Christians are feeling the same pressure in a more covert way. With the election of Modi in India, once again, um, people are nervous. His track record is not that of, of freedom for Christians. Don't be surprised. And Peter now readied us how we should think about that suffering when it comes. He says, rejoice insofar as you follow Christ's or you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice in your suffering. That's kind of, kind of paradigm messing with whatever you say. Um, James, though, says it similarly. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He says, both James and Peter are basically quoting Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice, they say. James says it. Jesus himself says it. And Peter doesn't just say it. We know that Peter lived it. In Acts chapter 5, 
the testimony of the apostles, and Peter was their ringleader at this point in time, goes like this. When they had called in the apostles, the religious leaders, and beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, they let them go. And then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. It's an honor to share in the sufferings of Christ. And there is this great, great reward for those who persevere in suffering at the return of Jesus. Peter, in our passage, says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We rejoice because there's a far greater joy that waits for us when Christ comes for us. At the return of Jesus, there will be great joy, rejoicing and gladness for those who persevere in following Jesus even in suffering. Listen to Jesus' words again. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Richard Strauss recounts an incident um, about one of the great preachers in the history of the Christian church, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And uh, he says that these, this passage of scripture, Matthew 5, 11, and 12, was a great encouragement to, to Spurgeon. Um, by his early 30s, Spurgeon was preaching to 6,000 people in London every Sunday. His printed sermons were being distributed all over the world. This is before the internet, right? All over the world. And he had critics and he was human and there were periods where he would succumb to dark depression. On one occasion, when he was struggling with a bout of depression, his wife printed these two verses, Matthew 5, 11, and 12, on large sheets of paper and tacked them on the ceiling over their bed. And every morning and evening as Spurgeon lay on that bed looking up, he read them and God used the expectation of the greater future reward to give him new courage and determination to go on. See, Jesus and James and Peter, they are telling you it's worth it. It is worth it if you suffer to follow Jesus, whatever shape that might take. And we can add to that this beautiful encouragement from the Apostle Paul. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not even even in the same league, he's saying. Rejoice when you suffer for Christ because it will be more than worth it. Verse 14, Peter continues, he says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So it appears that the shape of trials that the churches he was writing to at this point in time was more insults than death threats. Okay, Though it could likely come to that and would come to that in, in the decades after Peter wrote probably. In an article on the suffering church, um, FaithWorks lists degrees of persecution you can face as you practice your faith. Uh, Disapproval, ridicule, pressure to conform, 
loss of educational opportunities, economic sanctions, shunning, alienation from community, loss of employment, and then it gets worse, loss of property, physical abuse, mob violence, harassment by officials, kidnapping, forced labor, imprisonment, physical torture, murder, or execution. It seems like the churches that Peter was writing to were experiencing more of that first set. They were being insulted. Um, And this is the shape that troubles tend to take in our culture too, right? We're largely living in this set at this point in history. And Peter implies that they were being insulted because of their faith as we are increasingly. Consider um, what comedian Bill Mayer said in his film Religulous. He said, the plain fact is religion must die for mankind to live. The hour is getting very late to be able to indulge in having key decisions made by religious people, by irrationalists, by those who would steer the ship of state, not by a compass, but by the equivalent of reading the entrails of a chicken. That's what he thinks of our faith. See, now they were living in a a true honor-shame culture. More so than we are, so that these insults were, were bearing more weight upon them even than they would upon us. Professor Scott McKnight writes that because the first century Mediterranean society was an honor-shame culture, an insult was much more than a form of criticism. Criticisms, he says, can be deflected, but being shamed, however, irreparably damages one's social standing. And Peter says it's worth bearing even those insults because we are blessed for it. He says in verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, how can insults be blessings? What, there are a number of ways, but what Peter seems to have in mind here is that they are confirmation of our faith. These insults come to those who truly are following Jesus on whom the spirit of glory in God rests, okay? It's a confirmation of the spirit's presence in our lives. And again, the words of Jesus are the backdrop for this. In Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a blessing for those who suffer in following Christ. Ellen Patton wrote a novel about uh, South Africa Ah, but your land is beautiful. And in there, he tells the story of Robert Mansfield, who was a headmaster of a school in South Africa during the days of apartheid, which was, as you know, a cruel system of racial segregation. And when Mansfield's school was barred from competing against a black school, he finally took a stand against apartheid and, and resigned his post. And a friend said to him, you know you will be wounded. You know that. And Mansfield replied, pointing to heaven, when I go up there, the big judge will say to me, where are your wounds? And if I say I haven't any, he will say, was there nothing to fight for? And he says, I couldn't face that question. Peter says, don't be surprised, but rejoice, because you are blessed if you suffer for following Christ. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. Okay? So again, the joy and the blessings that he speaks of are attached only to suffering unjustly for the name of Christ 
for following in Jesus' steps. So a Christian who suffers rebukes at work, not because of their faith, but because they are lazy. Or a Christian student who is unpopular, not because of their faith, but because they're a jerk to their classmates. Or a Christian neighbor who doesn't get invited to the neighbor's party because they care more that the neighbor's dog does its business in their yard than that they care about being hospitable to their neighbor and having them in their yard. That's not the kind of suffering that Peter attaches blessing to. Suffering for jerkness, right? There's no blessing for that. The joy, the blessing that Peter is promising us comes from suffering born from following Jesus faithfully. An unwillingness to compromise your integrity when everyone else is. An unwillingness to join in ridiculing someone when everyone else does. An unwillingness to be silenced about the love of God when there is pressure for you not to speak. If you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler, there is no joy or blessing from that. And Peter talked about this earlier, earlier in his letter. He said, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He continues in our passage, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he says, don't give in to shame if you're insulted or ostracized for following Jesus. It can be tempting to be ashamed of being out of step with the culture around us, being the only one who acts or believes in a certain way. And this is why Christian community matters so much. This is why small group engagement at North Wake matters so much. You will not do this well alone. You are built to do this as part of a community. Peter urges us, hold fast, don't be ashamed, glorify God. And again, his reasoning is it's worth it, but this time he says it's worth it because of the coming judgment. The judgment we face as believers, he says, is very different from that of unbelievers. There's no comparison, he says. So he says, that the coming judgment upon unbelievers is far, far worse than any persecution we might suffer as believers. As Professor Edmund Clowney puts it, the fire that purifies the house of God will consume non-believers. Fiery trials amongst believers are not easily endured, but testing does not destroy us. It saves us. And you hear the two sides of the coming judgment of God when Paul writes about it in Romans 2. Listen to the two sides of it. 
He says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. God shows no partiality. So, we should pause here. When you hear scriptures read like that, do you sense how important, how vital it's going to be on that day to be trusting in Jesus to rescue you from your sins? Nothing is going to compare to how much it matters that you are trusting Jesus. Listen to the teaching of Jesus on this. He says something real interesting in Luke 13. He says, um, Luke says, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, a A terrible deed had been done of some kind that cost people their lives, evidently. And Jesus answered them, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, another incident in Jesus' day. He says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, he says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, to repent of your sins and trust Jesus and follow him in this suffering way, it's worth it. Jesus is saying, it's worth it. As Paul put it, because Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come on that day. And then Peter, he's going to close this section with a simple little word of encouragement to kind of sum it all up. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When we suffer for following Jesus, Peter says, trust God, our faithful maker, keep doing good. We are to trust that what, that what God is telling us here through Peter is true, that there's greater joy and a rescue from judgment that makes the suffering all worth it. We trust the promises of God that are writ here for us in 1 Peter. Philosopher Os Guinness writes that at this question, is it rational to trust God even when we do not fully understand what he is doing, like when we suffer? He says one of the most illuminating answers was put forward by the Oxford philosopher Basil Mitchell in his celebrated parable, parable of the resistance leader. It goes like this. Imagine you are in German-occupied France during World War II and you want to join the resistance movement against the Nazis. One evening in the local bar, a stranger comes up to you and introduces himself as the leader of the local partisans. He spends the evening with you explaining the general requirements of your duties and giving you a chance to assess his trustworthiness and offering you the chance to go no further. His warning is stern. If you join, your life will be at risk. 
This will be the only face-to-face meeting you will have. After this, you will receive orders and you will have to follow them without question, often completely in the dark as to the whys and wherefores of the operations and always the terrifying fear that your trust may be betrayed. Is such trust reasonable? Sometimes the resistance leader, what he is doing is obvious. He is helping members of the resistance. Thank heavens he is on our side, you say. But sometimes it is not obvious. Sometimes he is in Gestapo uniform arresting partisans and unknown to you, releasing them out of sight to help them escape the Nazis. But always you must trust and follow the orders without question, despite all appearances, no matter what happens. The resistance leader knows best, you must say. Only after the war will all the secrets be opened, the codes revealed, the two true comrades vindicated, the traitors exposed, and sense made of the many explanations. Oskinis adds, the parable of the resistance leader is an apt picture of the dilemmas of faith in a fallen world. Evil and suffering is not a problem because God is too small, though doing his best, but because God is so great that we cannot be expected to know what he is doing. And so Peter says, we trust him, even when it doesn't make sense to us. We trust him, even when we suffer for doing good. So suffering is coming to those who follow Jesus, Peter says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice, though, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. But if any one of you suffers as a Christian, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator and keep on doing good. Let's pray. Lord, these are, these are deep waters. And uh, we like to think that when that day comes, when somebody says something t- to us or about us or we're oppressed or we lose our job or whatever suffering would come our way, that we would be faithful. And yet, Lord, our temptation is to run, to give in to fear, to be ashamed. Help us, God. Help us now by the hearing of your word and the beauty of Christ that stands behind it, that says it will be worth it on that day to honor him, to be faithful to him, to suffer for him. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are in that situation right now, maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe with their family, maybe the mocking of a neighbor. Lord, strengthen us in these small tests so that we will be faithful in the larger ones should they come our way. Lord, we do pray for our our friends and family, for our brothers and sisters who live in places like China, who live in places like India, 
where the suffering is getting worse, the pressure is getting worse, the temptation to deny Christ is greater and greater and greater. Lord, we lift them up to you now. We pray your mercy upon them. We pray your kindness upon them. That they might stand in fidelity to Christ no matter what suffering comes their way. God, only you can do this. Do this for our brothers and sisters. Do this for us. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.